and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a whirlwind Scottish history podcast celebrating Scottish heritage, culture and folklore. I'm Jenny, a Bakewell tart. And I'm Annie, and this week we're looking at tartans, not tarts, Jenny. I was promised pastries! (laughs) But yes, uh, pastries aside, this week we have a lovely, light-hearted look at legends about tartans for you all. I'm excited about this episode because folklore is my happy place. Mine is Ackleton Bewey. Now, tartan is the most iconic fabric of Scotland, recognisable around the globe. With a colourful and distinctive crisscrossing pattern, tartan is a bright and beautiful symbol of Scottish identity. Did you know, Annie, that the oldest fragment of tartan found in Britain dates from the 3rd century common era? I did know that. This is the Falkirk tartan, is it? Yes, it is the Falkirk tartan, and it is by far the most famous thing that Falkirk is known for. (laughs) This wheelie wheelie famous tartan. (laughs) For anyone listening, Falkirk is also famous for Falkirk wheel, and Jenny wanted to make this pun that was based on her writing wheelie 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 12 times in the script about wheels. But when you listen, you can't really hear the pun, so I'm explaining it, thus ruining the pun. Um, it's okay, Annie, I really thought you were going to take this out on the edit, so I'm glad I even made it in. <laughs> now, the Falkirk tartan was discovered in Falkirk near the Antonine Wall, which is a Roman wall that spanned the central belt. The tartan itself had been used as a stopper in a big vase that contained a massive hoard of almost 2,000 Roman coins. The Falkirk tartan's cloth is woven with brown and cream sheep wool, which creates a simple light and dark checkered pattern. So this little scrap of fabric in the big red earthenware vase is evidence of tartan in Scotland in the 3rd century, which is pretty incredible that this woolen fabric has lasted about 1800 years. It is! It's amazing! When the Falkirk Horde was first found in 1933, it took a wee while to realise the importance of this tartan stopper, because everyone was just too excited about all of the silver coins. (laughs) It's a classic. I'm surprised they even noticed it was there at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It had been a workman who was digging for the council, and his spade went through the vase, So he just, you know, he went down in his hands and knees, found that he had a vase he'd just broken full of coins, and he wrapped it all in his jacket and then locked it in a tool shed before delivering it to the council. (laughs) So the tartan was just noticed as an afterthought to all of these coins. Are we sure it wasn't just like a scrap of his shirt that he'd used to wrap it in and everyone's thinking it's 1800 years old and actually it's two years old from a charity shop? (laughs) It's definitely an 1800-year-old piece of fabric. Mm. And the funny thing is, the same day that they found it, the news spread throughout town like hotcakes and everyone came down with their spades to start digging the same trench <laughs> that the council had been digging up. So, you know, he, he had all of his work done for free that day. Not bad, not bad. Well, in this episode, Annie, tartan is anything but an afterthought. With such a long history of tartan in Scotland, we have some smashing legends and lore about this beautiful fabric. Smashing enough to destroy an ancient vase. (laughs) (laughs) 
Just a quick thanks to our sponsors of this episode, Scotland Shop. Scotland Shop make beautiful tartan clothing with a story behind every product. And your tartan garments can be custom made to fit your body shape. While based in the borders, their tartans are available worldwide. Follow the link in the episode description and see their wide range of tailored tartan clothing and fabrics. There are over 500 clan tartans to choose from. 500! And you can make a virtual appointment for some personal service from the comfort of your own sofa. Your own sofa! Jenny, I think you'd look great in one of their tailored suits. I agree, Annie. I'll head over to Scotland Shop via the link in the episode description after the show. This story takes place in the borders, in a wee town called Hoik. Now, some people pronounce it Howick, but a quick Google has taught me that people from Hoik tend to call it Hoik. Yet more controversy comes from the Stories of Scotland podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hoik was famous for its sheep market in long ago days. This is a very simple and sweet story, and I'm going to open it with a wee poem written by a Hoyt boy, William Scott, in 1924. If you listen well, my dearie, in the summer weather, you may hear the fairy bells tinkling in the heather. Up the mountainside so high, and in the valleys too, elfin tunes of magic notes, they will play to you. When the wind blows soft and laden with the scent of clover, then it's time to listen close, ere it passes over. First you hear the faintest rustle, then the mystic sound, and your eyes grow big with wonder, and you feel yourself spellbound. Ah, I just love that it was a local child to the story that wrote that poem. Mm Mm-hmm. So as I said, this is a story about fairies and a story about a plaid. Now, a shepherd's plaid is a very precious garment. You can see the shepherd's plaid in action in old photographs and it's a very distinctive mark of the profession. Alongside the shepherd's crook and the shepherd's dog, that's all that a good shepherd would need to find their sheep. The word plaid comes from Gaelic for blanket and it's a very simple garment of thick woven wool. It's a really practical, large piece of fabric that you can drape over your shoulder, folded up if the sun is shining and warm, and it's not too much of a burden to carry, but if the weather changes, you can quickly unravel it and use it as a full cloak to cover your body. Cloak on the go. It's said that a plaid could see a shepherd through a dreadful blizzard, but they had other uses too. The plaid could be used as a blanket for a wee baby, or the shepherd's wife could take the plaid and wrap up her child in it to carry them on her back. I find this really intriguing, and there's a wonderful oral history describing shepherds' wives going for their shopping and carrying their baby wrapped in the plaid on her back. I just, I I find it so charming. And also, it's really sad because you never, 
you never see this nowadays. You never see the plaid in use. All right, that's it. Stories of Scotland merch. Get your own maternity plaid with us. (laughs) (laughs) But a plaid isn't just for young families. It's also for young sweethearts. If you were to be dating a shepherd, it was an intimate gesture for them to share their plaid with you, as it would be wide enough to wrap over an extra set of shoulders and perfect for snuggling. Oh, I think that's really quite romantic, Jenny. Yeah, before there were hoodies to steal, there were plaids. (laughs) Instead of hoodie hunters, you've got plaid pinchers. (laughs) Anyway, the tale I have for you is all about how befriending fairies can bring positive things into your life. Oh, this really contradicts many other stories we've told. We know fairies tend to either keep you trapped for a hundred years or drink your blood or steal your child or come in the dead of night and... Well, Jenny, not this time. Oh. This is a lovely, happy fairy story. If you say so. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat the whole time, waiting for that baby to be pinched right out of the plaid. (laughs) (laughs) It takes place at the Hoik Sheep Market, and these markets came along at the end of the year when winter was settling in. People would come from all over to sell their sheep or buy a piece of meat. Mutton and lamb at great prices. And this is the story of a poor shepherd who was a bit down on his luck. You see, there had been a dreadful storm. And this shepherd had lost almost all of his flock. He only had one sheep left and she was with lamb and he really did not want to sell her. Shall we give her a name? Barbara. Okay. Um, So our poor shepherd and Barbara were going to market. The shepherd was hungry and desperate. But he might get good money for Barbara. Though he really did not want to let her go because she was a particularly pretty and well-tempered sheep who always gave him very healthy lambs. But they trudged along together bound. The Hoik Sheep Market was a big event for everyone. People rich and poor would attend the sheep market. Our poor shepherd was almost there when he heard some frightful and invisible crying. You can't see me, but I'm sad. Shocked, he looked around the road but could see no one there. The sound was as though it was coming from several women all who were weeping, wailing and worrying. (laughs) Yet there were occasional signs of mirth and jolliment. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Woo! Party time! (laughs) It was such a confusing experience hearing all the voices around him, but with no source in sight. Oh, I'm so sad, but you still can't see me. (laughs) Where am I? In a pit of despair, that's where. (laughs) Yet, the noise wasn't something that only our shepherd could hear, because other passers-by on the road would stop and listen. They would look around curiously to see what was causing it. But then, just wanting to get on with their lives, they would shrug and continue on their way to the sheep market. But the shepherd stopped, and the shepherd listened. 
And then suddenly he could make out a voice amongst the howling. And it cried to him, Oh, there's a bairn born, but there's nothing to put on it. Our shepherd was immediately anxious for a newborn baby with nothing to keep them warm in the cold winter weather. Being a very good soul, he took off his own plaid and laid it on the ground, a gift for the newborn. Straight away, an invisible hand snatched up the plaid and it vanished. The sounds of the panicking woman ceased immediately. Suddenly, our shepherd heard many cheers, roars of joy, and the sound of fiddle music starting up for Vakali. Yes! Up the plaid! <laughs> but still, he could see nothing and no one. The poor shepherd now had even less for himself. He was cold and shivering in the winter after giving his plaid to what he suspected to be fairies. You see, the shepherd knew his lore. He wondered if perhaps a fairy court had gathered... And at this magical gathering, a baby had been born. Now, according to some branches of this folklore, fairies are known to dance naked. And you see, when there was a surprise birth, they had no extra garments to wrap the baby in because none of them were wearing anything. After doing his supernatural good deed for the day, the shepherd continued onwards to market. But after just taking a few steps away from this spot where he had given the fairies his plaid, something sparkling caught his eye. He bent down and on the pavement he found a silver shilling. He used this shilling to buy some meat for his family and it was a remarkably good bargain. And since he'd bought the meat, and he knew him and his family would have full bellies that night, he decided to take his one sheep home and save her for another day. Yay, Barbara made it! And what do you know? The next day, one of his sheep reappeared. I'm back! (laughs) And the day after, another still. Me too! As the sheep returned to his flock, they were fat and well-fed. Their wool looked as though it had been washed, and there was an air of enchantment around them. We've been at the spa. (laughs) (laughs) It was as if, instead of being lost in a storm, they had maybe just taken a trip to a land of fairies. I, Annie, I'm not joking, I once saw an enchanted sheep and it was so beautiful, it genuinely had this weird golden glow around it and I stood in the field and looked at it for like 15 minutes and I, th- I still think of it sometimes. A little at a time, the shepherd found his shiny, happy sheep reappearing in all kinds of strange places and wilderness. The next spring, all the sheep had beautiful, healthy lambs who played merrily in the fields. And this good luck would last the shepherd the rest of his life. The poor shepherd became rich and prosperous. Whenever there was a sprinkling of good fortune to be had in his life, he would remember giving his plaid to the fairies in their moment of need. The shepherd would find 
the kindness he put out into the world would come back to him tenfold. And all of the wool that came from Barbara and her fellow rediscovered sheep would be woven into plaids that themselves would bring joy to others. Oh, it's it's really nice to see the fairies being portrayed nicely in one of the tales. I feel like so often they're, if, if not bad, at least mischievous. So it's really nice to hear they are nuanced creatures. And while sometimes they can be a bit mean or mischievous, they can also be incredibly kind and repay genuine human kindness with genuine fairy kindness. I just really enjoyed the way that all of the shepherd sheep came back to him. They came back, Annie. <laughs> Annie, I have a fun little tartan tale for you. And in the thread of all my favourite tales, it's spooky. Ooh. <laughs> and what's even better is that crisscrossing this thread of mine and making it a lovely checkered pattern is the thread of your favourite tales, an old newspaper story. Oh, what a wonderful tartan we weave, Jenny. Indeed. Wonderful for us and our listeners, yes but not for the poor fellow who investigated and reported this story in the Dundee Evening Telegraph in September of 1910. He titled this piece Ghost Story of a Hooded Maiden in Argyleshire and proceeds to tell us of a letter they had received from a man. His story was that during the course of a walking tour in Argyleshire, he passed on the evening of August 18th along the road between Artfern and Ford, in the valley of the Barbrek. Tempted, he said, by the beauty of the sunset, he mounted a hill by the side of the road and saw a most creepy and circumstantial apparition. The figure of a very tall girl, wearing a short skirt and a large dark tartan plaid, suddenly appeared on the rock at the summit of the hill. She had eerie long black hair blowing wildly about her face, which was extraordinarily pale and shiny, like the moon. She beckoned to him in the wild way that wraiths have. Ah yes, the well-known wraith wave, or the ghostly hello, as some call it in the south. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, some say that at least three limbs must be in motion at any one point for it to qualify in the category of beckoning. (laughs) Others would go out on a limb to argue that four must be in motion at once, but let's not open ourselves up to controversy once more and say somewhere between three to five limbs must be in motion for a wraith wave to be happening. Now. (laughs) Jenny, I'm not sure this sounds very plausible, but I must admit that to imagine a humanly figure waving... (laughs) three to five limbs it does give them a certain ghostly appearance doesn't it yeah i mean it's not natural put it that way anyway where (laughs) was your story at we've got this man and he's out on the moors and it's a lovely sunset and out of nowhere a very tall girl wrapped in a tartan plaid has appeared and she's wiggling all her limbs at him in a very wraith-like way as he approached the tartan-plated woman ran to the rock's edge and, in a custom spectre fashion, was gone. 
leaving no trace behind her upon the bare, steep hillside. Our man, Mr. Pickup, then went on to relate how he pursued inquiries in the neighbourhood and found, as alleged, that the tall, spectral, tartan-clad lady was quite the local celebrity. English families tenanting houses and lodges on the Barbrick knew her quite well, and the gillies and shepherds o' the valley and the moor naturally knew her still better. He learned that sometimes she uttered cries of pain or anger, and that sometimes she had a tartan hood pulled around her being, and was in consequence known locally as the Hooded Maiden. It was a most satisfying ghost by which any picturesque ancient English mansion would proud to be haunted by. A writer carries on. However, physical research should understand that it is useless to travel the Barbrick Valley to investigate the apparition unless they take Mr. Pickup with them. For the hooded maiden, it appears, shows her pale face and her wild blowing raven locks only when he is there. He can not only see apparitions that do not exist, he can also imagine the corroborative testimony. Ah, that's what's happening. You see, he imagined these English visitors and imagined that they told him that they had seen the same wraith. Not one. Not one in the neighbourhood among either visitors or residents has ever seen or ever heard of the very tall girl with a white face. The gillies and shepherds and servants along the valley deny that there exists any legends about this hooded maiden and resent deeply the imputation which Mr Pickup's statements cast upon their eyesight and veracity. The beckoning disappearing wraith was a product of his own fancy. So were the English visitors, and so were the shepherds, and so were the legends which he imagined they told him. Well, I think Mr. Pickup is feeling very called out right now. (laughs) But that's not all, Annie. Just wait. Even the beautiful sunset, which he thought he saw, was his own production. For on the evening which he spoke, there was no beautiful sunset. It was a damp, unpleasant evening with such a heavy mist upon the hills that nothing could be seen through it. Nothing! No wraith would ever have dreamed of climbing a hill in such weather. It is ludicrous to expect that of a ghost. The Barbeck Valley is innocent of any wraith. Innocent, I say, and has never in its history known the tragedy that could occasion the legend of one. But if during the course of his walking tours He goes there again and encounters the indignant Gilly. Something tragic may happen yet. Wow, this fellow had a make-your-own-myth moment. What can you say, Annie? Some men make it the myth and some men make it a fool of themselves. Like Mr. Pickup. I feel like we knew that he had lost all credibility right at the beginning when he was talking about the ghost waving in a wraith-like way. If that was a thing. Yeah, it's too much detail. You know, you can always tell when someone's lying when they just put in too much weird detail. And it's funny because the most believable bit was the tartan played that the ghost wore. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I suppose with all these strange mythical stories and legends of ghosts and lore, you need most people on board with it to take off. And that's just what this fellow didn't have, you know? Nessie wasn't the work of one man alone. I feel like if the journalist had wanted to increase tourism in the area, they could have just gone along with the, you know, the maiden in the tartan cloak ghost story. Because that's a great ghost story to have on a glen. Yeah, and they could have, at this point in time, you know, like a hundred years later, they could have a whole big town dedicated to this wraith. You could have like Wraith World and Ghost Galore Picnic Station. <laughs> they need to build an extra car park at the Wraith Glen so that everyone could get a shot at seeing or not seeing the Wraith. It's an overflow car park to accommodate all the waving limbs. It's <laughs> <laughs> not funny! Just a quick thanks to our sponsors of this episode, Scotland Shop. Scotland Shop make beautiful tartan clothing with a story behind every product. And your tartan garments can be custom made to fit your body shape. While based in the borders, their tartans are available worldwide. Follow the link in the episode description and see their wide range of tailored tartan clothing and fabrics. There are over 500 clan tartans to choose from. 500! And you can make a virtual appointment for some personal service from the comfort of your own sofa. Your own sofa! Jenny, I think you'd look great in one of their tailored suits. I agree, Annie. I'll head over to Scotland Shop via the link in the episode description after the show. Jenny, I've just finished a storytelling mentorship program with Traditional Arts and Culture Scotland and I've been thinking about how we build stories. Firstly, congratulations, that's so cool. And secondly, we build them with print stick, duct tape and some good old Scottish pizzazz. Well, get out the print stick because I find a kind of skeleton story of joke folklore in an oral history And when I first heard it, I really wanted to retell it with some embellishment. So we're going to try that today. I love that there's joke folklore and not all stories are cautionary tales and lessons to be learned. But they can also be playful and lively and fun too. I I hope that's what we're going to do here. (laughs) This is a tale about a skilled tartan weaver from Harris named Morag. Morag lived alone in a wee croft, and she led a simple but content life. Every day, out of Morag's wee crofter's shed, you could hear the rattling mechanic gurgling that came from her old loom. From this clicking and clanking, Morag was known for making the most beautiful tartans and tweeds and only someone with a very keen eye could see what was so special about the fabrics that Morag made. It was the colours of them, you see. Morag had the eye of an artist. She combined colours across the warps and the weft of the weave in a way that made the whole fabric sing, that perfectly painted a picture of landscape and a feeling of longing. 
From all of Harris, everyone knew Morag's beautiful Titan whenever they saw it. You could be a thousand miles from Harris and see a stranger in the distance across the street wearing a plaid of Morag's Titan and it transported you and transformed you. Your heart would echo with the singing waves of the minch and smell the wildflowers of the Makur and soar on the wing of the sea eagle. But Morag had a secret to her titans because for generations going back the weavers had washed their dyes and their titans in the deep stream that run past her crofter's hut and Morag thought of this as her lucky burn. When she was just a little lass, Morag had gone fishing in the stream to catch a little something for her supper. Within no time at all, she felt a movement on the line. It was strong and powerful, and little Morag was half expecting that this thing would drag her into the stream and she would get her dress wet and she would lose her catch and her family would be a bit disappointed not to have the protein. A big struggle ensued, with a lot of splashing and pulling and hoping. But finally, little Morag managed to pull a big, strong, wriggling eel out of the burn. However, this was no regular eel, for this squirming eel had grown in the stream where tartans had been washed. For years and years, all of the colours had bled into the stream. And the eels had noticed this. They saw the colours washing away, and they saw the humans wearing such bright garments. And they got jealous and adapted. Because if the colours were in the stream, then the colours could become the eels as well. And that explains why little Morag was looking at the end of her line, right in the face of a tartan eel. The eel was splendidly patterned, in gorgeous, shimmering tartan. Morag was awestruck by how exquisite the eel's tartan bands were, made from the natural forces of the deep burn that had been carving the hills for centuries. And so Morag set this tartanil free again to continue swimming upstream. And immediately forgetting about her grumbling tummy calling her to eat something, Morag went to her loom and began to weave the colours of the tartanil. And so from then onwards, whenever Morag needed inspiration, she would go to the stream and fish and find another eel with its own tartan pattern and weave that into her loom. Everything in Morag's world changed as her brothers and sisters left the island to find jobs in the big cities and she herself grew old. But she stayed on this croft, enchanted by the beauty of the eels in the stream and making a tartan so sublime that it told the story of her island. Whenever she wove her tartan, she felt a great happiness and fulfilment with her life, as though she was sharing a secret of the islands with all of the world.
And that's the tale of the Titan Eels. <laughs> For anyone who's a fan of Titans and Tweeds, I feel there's still an amazing synergy between the fabric and the landscape. And you can look at certain Titans and they really do draw you to a place. <laughs> And though the story of Morag and the Titan Eel is just a lovely joke, I think it really showcases how much craft makers and artists in Scotland really do draw from their environment. I think we live in a landscape that really shapes and inspires us. And I don't know any creatives who aren't, who aren't part of that. Do you, Jenny? No, not at all. I think it's in order to create something truly beautiful, you have to be aware of the world around you. And when you're located in a beautiful place like Harris, of course you're going to be inspired by that and draw from the colours and textures and feelings that a place gives you. And even if the eel isn't real, I'm sure Morag went down to the river every day and was inspired by something beautiful. The colour of the sunlight on the water, you know, or a blooming flower by the banks. I like to think that that's how you write the podcast, Jenny, like besides a gorgeous stream, mm. watching the way that the sun sparkles. But I know that you write it in a woolly blanket with a packet of jelly babies. And a hot water bottle. Yeah, <laughs> it's winter. Yeah, my hot water bottle is lukewarm right now. <laughs> <laughs> But seeing as I have got a hot water bottle and it's freezing in my house, we are clearly getting towards the end of the year. And I've been having a really nostalgic time sort of looking back over 2021 and just thinking about what a great time it's been for us at Stories of Scotland, Annie. I don't think either of us could have imagined a better year for our little show. Uh, Our audience is growing around the world. Hello, everyone that's been with us and has joined us. We were nominated for a British Podcast Award. We had a wonderful rebrand and we got a great new logo. And most importantly, we designed the coolest shiny stickers ever for our supporters on Patreon. Which reminds me, we are almost out of these shiny stickers. So I think Annie and I, we were talking about making a cutoff at the end of the year for new Patreons and shiny stickers. So if it's something you've been meaning to do for a while, or if you've just joined us and love what we do, then you can head over to patreon.com slash stories of Scotland and sign up to get access to loads more Scottish content and stories and also a world famous shiny sticker. World famous. Are you making your own myth here, Jenny? Yes, and all I need is for half of the listeners to be on board with me and we're on the way. So <laughs> with that, a massive thank you to our world famous new patrons, Lena. Andrea, Louisa, Jennifer, Joanna, Devin, Christoph, Caroline, Radish, Radish, Loretta, Morgan, and Megan. Thank you all so much, you absolutely fantastic people. I like to imagine you in Harris right now, um, in a very deep stream surrounded by tartan eels. Maybe you are the tartan eels. Um, and they're friendly eels and they're singing you happy eely songs. Okay, I'm just going to stop this here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can also support us by following us on all the social medias and giving us a like and a review. 
Annie hit her fantastic 500 and then sadly missed it being a nice round number. <laughs> and it went on to like over 500, so she was really sad. So we're just gonna have to get it to a thousand, folks. I was, I was so excited because it was on 498 and I kept refreshing it and sending screenshots of the 498 to Jenny being like, oh, we're so close to 500 reviews. I can't wait. And then I refreshed it and it was 501. <laughs> and, and I was, but I, 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 <laughs> in, in my heart, I don't know, I just, I, it, there's just some numbers I really like and I really like the ones that have the zeros. <laughs> but we had a really hilarious review that, what was it that, Hotel California of dolphin noises. <laughs> <laughs> That's that has to be our new slogan, Jenny. Yeah. Of the podcast. Yeah. Have I'll you heard you of Stories of Scotland? It's the Hotel California of dolphin noises. <laughs> it was perfect but yes yeah, so thank you all so much for your continued support we are having a fantastic time making this podcast and hope you're all having a fantastic time warm tucked up at home also with a nice little hot water bottle slangeva slangeva The tartan itself had been used as a stopper in a big vase that contained a massive hoard of almost 2,000 Roman coins. The cloth is woven with... Bro- coins? What did I say? You said... You said coins. Coins? No, now you're saying coins. Co- but you said, like, coins. Coin? Okay, co... co- wait, so how, how do you say it? <laughs> coins. 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 Oh yeah, you're right. I'm putting a whole other. I'm putting a whole other. Yeah, you're putting <laughs> coins. 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 Oh my god, I've been saying that word wrong my whole life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that contained a massive hoard of almost two thousand Roman coins. The. <laughs> did I say it right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Okay. You did. <laughs> uh. Now, some people pronounce it Howick, but a quick Google has taught me that people from Hoik tend to call it Hoik. Okay, we're about to get a bunch of really angry Howikins. Ho- <laughs> no. You don't want to get their Hoik up. <laughs> Never mind. Instead of hoodie hunters, you've got plaid pinchers. <laughs> Would you share your plaid with Pauline? Um, well, to be fair, it usually goes the other way. I just steal all of her clothes. So, mm-hmm. um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would share my plaid with my girlfriend. <laughs> That's going in the papers. She listens to them. <laughs> Jenny. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. Snaps Ronnie. <laughs> Aw, that's lovely. Although I do feel like the eels need some sort of, like, intellectual copyright claim, you know? Couldn't they trademark the tartan? Maybe get some royalties? What would an eel need royalties for? I don't know. Trip to Vegas? Eels love a slot machine. I don't get that. How's 
How is that funny? <laughs> they go to the Bellagio Casino. <laughs> I can't do this. I'm so sorry. I literally, this was another one where I was like, why would an eel need money? And I was like, Vegas? <laughs> why would an eel need money? Yeah, my whole water bottle is lukewarm right now. <laughs> Which probably explains this episode. <laughs> Wait a second. Two seconds, I've set the dogs off next door. <laughs> hi. Hi, hi, sorry. I was just being a dramatic, a dramatic potato. Alright, I need to get. That was very sweet. <laughs> I can't do it again, we're gonna have to cut that sound in because I'll set the dog off again. <laughs> Um, I was walking down by Loch Ness and it was just there and it was just so mesmerising and I looked for like an hour through all my pictures the other day to try and find it but I couldn't find the magic sheep because I thought that would be great for Instagram. 